Good morning. Um, I'm normally really relaxed when I'm sat in my lounge and this feels slightly more stressful than normal. Um, my name's Wes, I'm a youth worker here at All Saints um, and thank you for having me in your homes as well. Um, as a Christian, I have a, I have a real tension in my life and I don't think I'm the only one. Where on, kind of on one side, I know that God is good and I know that he loves me and he is trustworthy. And yet, on the other side, I live in a broken world where bad things happen, often to good people. How do I react to this? And I know I'm not alone in that tension because a third of the world's population at the moment are on lockdown. And you might be one of those who's actually enjoying lockdown, maybe because you're not doing homeschooling, just throwing that one out there. But you will have other problems in your life, loneliness or health issues, et cetera, et cetera. We suffer in this life. And the question is, how do we respond to that? Well, I respond emotionally. And I think we do as humans. And in itself, that isn't wrong. But we cry out to God and we say, God, no, please make this better. And sometimes I've been tempted to minimise my emotions. But of course, when I do that, I come across as a bit of a religious robot. Or at other times what I do is I heighten my emotions. And then I'm hard to distinguish from people who don't have a faith in God. Now, when Peter wrote this in 60 AD, he was writing to Christians who were suffering. They were viewed as strange and superstitious and disloyal. They often met in secret and they were seen to practice strange rituals. And frequently they refused to serve in a Roman army because they would not swear an oath of allegiance to the emperor. So they were frequently discriminated against. And the question naturally came up, how as Christians do we respond to suffering? And that is a question that Peter seeks to answer in this short letter. Now, this passage isn't about why we suffer. This passage is about how do we respond to suffering? And Peter says two things. So if you can remember two things today, that would be fantastic. And the first one can be found in verse 13. And you'll notice that in verse 13, it starts the word therefore, or some Bible translations say the word so. So we need to know what's gone before, which Mark preached on last week. And last week, Mark talked about and Peter talks about in his letter, salvation, this thing about us being saved. And we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Three different parts to it, where we've been saved from penalty of sin. When we put our faith in Jesus, we do not have to worry about the consequences of all the mess ups we've done, which is an amazing promise. And then we're also, promise, we're also promised that now we are being saved from the power of sin. That if we allow Jesus and the transforming power of his spirit within us, we will become more and more like him. And then one day, this amazing promise we've got that one day we'll be free from the presence of sin. So that's the context of what Peter's talked about beforehand. And then he starts his passage by saying, prepare your minds. Now, the actual Greek translation for that is actually, ready for it? Gird the loins of your mind. <laughs> what an expression. 
what Peter's saying is that at the time, blokes would wear long robes. And if you were going to work or you're going to run, you would have to tuck in the hem of your robe in your belt. Because if you didn't, you'd fall flat on your face. What Peter's saying is be prepared. In fact, the message, message version of the Bible says, roll up the sleeves, get ready for action. And what Peter says is, choose what you think about. Exercise self-control. Now, you and I can't choose what we feel when bad times happen because we're emotional people. We feel in certain ways and that's the way it is. What Peter is saying is, choose what you think about when times are tough and that then will affect how you feel that's why church is so important that's why it's so important that we're meeting each other's houses now etc a group of christ followers and we can look out for each other and we can support each other in the storms because otherwise we rely too heavily on our feelings peter tells us what to think about he says put your hope in Jesus Christ, especially his return, when all things will be made new. Now, those of you who know me well know I'm a complete wuss with pain. Now, I know a lot, no one likes pain, but I am pathetic with it. And I remember once having an abscess on my tooth, and I had it for about eight hours before I could get the emergency appointment at the dentist. And I was kind of rolling around in pain, etc., not thinking about the end point. What Peter is saying is, remember the end point. Remember the long term. That's not to belittle the suffering. Some people suffer horrendously, but we are still called to put it in an eternal perspective. So here's a question. What do we put our hope in? You know, some people put their hope in their family and everything revolves around the family or being successful or self-reliant or popular or being healthy, all of these will ultimately disappoint. The reality is that we all suffer to one degree or another. And Peter says, hold tight, hold tight to our hope that Jesus will make all things new. Now, I don't know what this new heaven and new earth are going to look like, because the Bible doesn't say that much about it. But what I do know is that the same way as a dog is desperate to be with her master. It will scratch at the door and all things. I want to spend eternity with Jesus. And let's focus on that. So firstly, point one, when we're suffering, we're to put our hope in Jesus and remember his return and making things new. The second part is a bit more surprising. Peter says, that we need to lead holy lives here on earth. In fact, in verses 15 and 16, he says it four times. This part of the talk is a bit more challenging. What questions, what images do you get in your head when you hear the word holiness? I think sometimes we can go into two different camps. One camp is we start thinking of stern, joyless Christians who like magnolia in their house and wear beige. Maybe something a little bit outdated. I'm not knocking you if you've got that. I have that in my house. Maybe holiness is something which just characterises a small part of your life. Maybe in our desire to be culturally relevant, we conveniently forget holiness, as we don't want to put another hurdle in front of non-Christians. 
all with holiness, we can flip it the other way. And we start hanging around in a weird Christian bubble all the time. We start learning more and more Bible verses and theology as if there's a Bible quiz to get into heaven. We start adding more and more rules, even though we're told not to do that. That's called legalism. No, being holy isn't those things. Being holy or sanctified is another word, is to be set apart for the use intended by the designer. Now, we'd never say the sentence in real life, but a pen is sanctified when instead of chewing it, I write with it because I'm using it for the correct purpose. A towel is sanctified when instead of flicking someone with it, you use it to dry yourself. It's for correct purpose. As humans, we are sanctified when instead of living how we want to, we live according to God's design and his purpose. And as Christians, we are commanded to live in a way which admittedly imperfectly reflects Jesus's affection. Now, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are set apart. And the theological term for that is, wait for it, positional sanctification. That isn't what Peter's talking about here. He's talking about something called progressive sanctification. And all that means is, that as followers of Jesus, we are called over time to become more and more like him. Challenging question, but one we should all ask ourselves, and I'm definitely asking myself this. Can I name an area of my life where I've become more Christ-like in the last year or so? Anger becoming patience, or moaning becoming compliments, or selfishness becoming selflessness. You see, Peter's message here is completely counter to what I'd expect. When I suffer, I want a pity party. Peter is saying, when you're suffering, strive after holiness. You see, being set apart or holy isn't an absence of suffering. We can all behave well when things are going well. Rather, it's obedience through suffering. As Billy Ocean sang in a song I have never liked, but in a song he sang 35 years ago, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. It's going to take more of an effort. Sins you thought you'd wave goodbye to might rear the ugly head when you're suffering. But we need to remember that sins nearly bring satisfaction, but ultimately they lie. They promise things we, they cannot deliver. So what is being holy? What is being set apart? Well, it's reading the Bible and applying it to our lives. But it's more than just private morality. It's allowing God's Holy Spirit who dwells within us to do his work and work as a team with him. Being holy is striving to be more like Jesus. Being holy is being devoted to God, resulting in a life of obedience. It's not for advanced Christians, whatever that means. It's for all of us. A book, a long, quite old book now by a guy called Jerry Bridges called Pursuit of Holiness. He writes a really challenging phrase, which I'm going to just quote. It's time for us Christians to face up to our responsibility for holiness. Too often we say we are defeated by this or that sin. No, we are not defeated. We are simply 
disobedient. It might be well if we stop using the terms victory and defeat to describe our progress in holiness. Rather, we should use the terms obedience and disobedience. You know, I'm amazing. There's more to this sentence. I'm amazing at excusing my behaviour when I'm suffering. You don't understand my circumstances. You don't understand what they said. But as devoted followers of Jesus, we should be determined to follow Jesus, even when we suffer, especially when we suffer. Peter says, no excuse. We're set apart. So to conclude, Peter says two things for us when we suffer. One, keep your hope and your eyes fixed on Jesus and the fact that he will one day return and make all things new. And secondly, strive to live a life here on earth that pleases God. Remembering the two things we've been told, to love God and love our neighbour. You know, of course, hope and holiness are linked. If we don't hope in Jesus making all things new one day, we will act like this part of our life is all that life is. And instead of striving for holiness, we will strive for happiness. However, this will not bring contentment. What will bring contentment is when we focus on Jesus, making all things new and striving to lead a life that pleases him. So two questions to finish, two questions for us to ask ourselves, maybe each day. Are we focused on Jesus or have we got sidelined by other staff? And then second of all, am I going to please God today? Come what may. Holiness for earth and hope for heaven. I'm just going to pray. Close your eyes. You'll see my shiny head. Heavenly Father. Oh, I thank you that in the midst of suffering, you don't leave us. And I pray for people listening now who are really suffering. May they feel your presence close to them now. And also, God, please help us and remind us to focus on the fact that one day you will return and you will make things right. We want to be a people who live lives that please you, both for our good, but especially for your glory. Amen.